Well, hey, welcome to the Walk On Podcast. Following Jesus is a journey, and I hope that this podcast helps you take your next step. Well, hey, Walk On Friends, I've got another episode in the Fear Not series. If you're just joining the podcast, we've been taking a look at things in the Bible that can be a little scary and a little misunderstood. It can be easy to read the Bible with a lens of fear and condemnation instead of letting love be the way that we relate to God. So if you haven't listened to some of the previous episodes in this series, I encourage you to do that. They lay more of the groundwork and a foundation for what we're talking about here. And in the previous episode, I've been asking you to email me some of the things that you want to see covered in this series, maybe some verses or things that you come across that can bring a little bit of fear and misunderstanding. Well, I'd love to hear from you, and you can email me at brent at walkonpodcast.com. That's B-R-E-N-T at walkonpodcast.com. And the good news is some of you have emailed ideas in. Um, So keep those ideas coming. Today's topic actually comes from somebody that emailed some things in. It comes from Jason and Christine. Shout out to Jason and Christine. They're some pretty cool people. Um, And they wrote in and they actually gave a few different ideas. They talked about how conversations around revelation and hell are almost always fear-based and how those topics are often used with fear to motivate people. And they're, they're so true. They're so right. Um, and those are two great topics, but I won't be covering those today. Those topics could really be like an entire series just on their own. And, and I need more time to do those topics justice. But thankfully, Jason and Christine wrote in a third idea. Uh, And this is one I can cover in just one episode. They identified a troubling verse at the end of Psalm 137. It's verse 9. Here's what it says. Happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. Wait, what? Smashing babies against rocks? That's pretty graphic and, and horrendously violent. And then it says that the one who does that is is happy. What's going on? Is this something that God condones? I mean, I've actually heard people reference this verse in modern debates about abortion. And they say, well, how can you Christians be against abortion when the Bible says happy is the one who smashes babies against rocks? So what's going on? Well, like I've mentioned before, the best starting place when wrestling through troubling verses like this is to look at its broader context. You see, you have to remember, the Bible isn't like some magical words just to you. It was written by a wide variety of people at specific times in history experiencing God in specific situations. And we can learn from their inspired accounts, but not every word in the Bible is a direct command for us to follow. And I know that may sound a a little weird, but let me say it this way. You could say that The Bible wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. In other words, the things that are written are about a specific time and place in history, and we can learn about God and his heart as we learn about those specific interactions he's had, and then we take that inspired revelation of who he is, and we apply that wisdom to our situations today. So let's look at Psalm 137 and see what the broader context is. First of all, we should recognize that this is a psalm. 
It's a type of, of literature. Psalms were a collection of songs and poems from the Jewish people. Jews used these psalms for worship. They used it for remembering their history um, and for remembering what God has done for them. So here's Psalm 137 in its entirety. Beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of poplar trees. For our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn, sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget how to play the harp. May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I fail to remember you, if I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. O Lord, remember what the Edomites did on the day the armies of Babylon captured Jerusalem. Destroy it, they yelled. Level it to the ground. O Babylon, you will be destroyed. Happy is the one who pays you back for what you have done to us. Happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. Not exactly the most cheerful and uplifting psalm, is it? But when we read it, we begin to see some context on how this troubling verse at the end fits in. So let me talk a little bit about the psalms. In a broad sense, there are, there are about three types of psalms, and each has its subtypes. There are psalms of celebration. These are uplifting, and they talk about God's faithfulness and praise Him. There are psalms of thanksgiving, thanking God for what He's done. And there are psalms of lament, crying out to God about heartache, grief, and troubling circumstances. And what's interesting is that there are more psalms of lament than any other type of psalm. Now, those psalms don't get turned into modern worship songs or get put on coffee mugs, but for the ancient Jews, lament was a key part of their worship experience. And you've probably guessed it, Psalm 137 is a psalm of lament. It cries out about the moment the Jewish people were taken captive by Babylon. Right, the opening lines, beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. You see, the Babylonian Empire laid siege to Jerusalem in the late 500s BC, and eventually the city and the temple were destroyed and many of its people held captive and forcibly taken to Babylon. And this is a song about that moment. Now, the irony of this psalm is that it's a song about not being able to sing. The psalmist actually says that we put away our harps, hanging them on the branches, for our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn, but how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? The writer of the psalm cries out to God over the oppression of the Jewish people. Their land had been invaded, the families divided and hauled away from Jerusalem, and the, the epicenter of their faith and their identity had been ripped from them. And then the psalmist goes on and pledges to never forget Jerusalem. And then they pledge to never forget the evils that the Babylonians forced upon them when Jerusalem was captured. And then the psalm ends with the psalmist expressing their desire that their enemies would experience the same kind of pain that they had. Oh, Babylon, you will be destroyed. 
Happy is the one who pays you back for what you have done to us. Happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. And those last two verses make this a special type of psalm of lament. It's what's called an imprecatory psalm. Imprecatory psalms are where the writers of the psalm calls out curses on people who have caused injustice. They're asking God to punish those who have caused harm to them. So that's the context of this psalm. It's about a specific moment when the Jewish people were taken captive by Babylon, and they're writing about their grief and their anger and their frustration, and they're crying out to God for vengeance against their enemies, that their enemies would experience the same pain that they had. So with that context in mind, let's make some observations about this troubling verse. First, it's worth noting that God isn't speaking these words, nor is God even condoning this. These words come from someone who's experienced the terror of another nation invading and destroying their home. All they know, the center of their faith and identity has been ripped from them, and they are crying out to God in pain. And that actually seems like a pretty normal human response, doesn't it? I mean, I remember some of the strong rhetoric and some of the songs that were written after 9-11. Right? It's, a, it's a natural human response to cry out, to call out those kind of things. And so that brings me to the second observation, that there is power in lament. There's something powerful about putting to words the grief and the anguish and the anger and the pain that you're experiencing. And there's power in being able to acknowledge that instead of trying to pretend that everything's okay and everything's happy and everything's fine. I mentioned earlier that the irony of the psalm is that it's a song about not singing songs. And what the psalmist is saying is that there are actually times where it would be a disservice to what was lost to sing a joyful song and pretend as if nothing had happened. Lament gives space for that pain and grief to be expressed to God as worship. It's not just wallowing and sitting in that pain, it's expressing it to God as a form of worship. And it's a beautiful reminder that God is with us in all of life's experiences. If you want to dig into the topic of lament a little bit more, I I did a previous episode a couple years ago. I'll link that in the show notes if you want to check it out. Now, there are times when what we lament is caused by injustice in the world. In this troubling verse at the end of Psalm 137, reminds us that God can handle our anger and that perhaps the anger we feel at injustice is actually a good thing. It shows us that the world shouldn't be this way, that people shouldn't be ripped from their families and from their homes. You see, the power of an imprecatory psalm is that it gives space for us to cry out for vengeance, but the important thing is who we're crying to. Even though these particular words of this verse sound harsh, these words are directed to God. So we're given space to cry out for justice, to express our anger, to acknowledge that God is in all of those emotions, but ultimately it's still a declaration of trust because we're crying out to God because God is the one who brings vengeance and not our own retaliatory actions. The other thing these types of psalms do is that they point to the longing in each of us to have God make the world right. 
We recognize that the world isn't as it should be, and we long for justice and, and peace and wholeness. And as followers of Christ today, we yearn for the day when we believe that Christ will return and that he will bring full justice and set all things right. We hold a confident hope that there will be a day when relationships are restored, broken systems are corrected, and when evil will be dealt with definitively. That is the hope that we place in Christ, the trust that we put into Christ. And so this psalm points to all of those truths, all of those future hopes that we believe will happen. And so to, to summarize some of our observations, what on the surface seems like an ugly and uncomfortable verse is actually a beautiful reminder that God is with us in all of life's experiences. We can bring him our joys. We can bring him our sorrows. We can bring him our thanksgiving and we can bring him our anger. And this psalm recognizes that we shouldn't be comfortable with injustice in the world. We can cry out to God and plead for his intervention. But at the same time, it's also a declaration of our trust in him, that vengeance belongs only to the Lord. And we also acknowledge that the longing we feel for the day when God will set all things right, it points to the future promise that God one day will set every captive free and every person will find their true home in Christ. So that's Psalm 137 a psalm lamenting the pain and oppression of the Jewish people and what they felt as they sat by the waters of Babylon far from home and cried. And so my question is, then what about you? What are the areas of your life where you have had things near and dear ripped from you? What have been your moments of, of exile? And the question is, have you felt the freedom to express those to God? to sit by the waters and to cry. Sometimes our modern church services can actually do a disservice to those in pain by not giving space or acknowledging grief. So much of what happens on a Sunday morning is upbeat and joyful and celebratory, and, and that is right and good. There is so much to celebrate when it comes to Christ. But what I love about these psalms of lament and these imprecatory psalms is that it's a reminder that God is with us in all of life's circumstances. And he is with us even in the grief and the pain. And it gives us a venue to express that to God. And that's part of the healing process, I believe, is to be able to cry out and to grieve and to mourn and to invite God into that. And so have you had those moments or have you felt like you've had to shove that down to put on a happy face or to acknowledge the good when it feels like on the inside there's there's all this loss. Well, maybe this can be that moment for you. I want you to know that God can handle it. And the beauty of a psalm like Psalm 137 is it helps put words to what many of us have felt in our lives around loss and grief and anger. And so I'm gonna wrap up my conversation here and I'm gonna pray but I'm also going to give several more minutes of space in this podcast where I invite you to, to pray, to cry out, to remember, to yell at God, 
or any other act of worship. So thanks for listening and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the beauty of your word, that you engage the full range of the human experience and you invite us to bring all of that to you. We can bring you our joys and we can bring you our sorrows. We can bring you our thanksgiving and we can bring you our anger. We can bring you our happiness and we can bring you our disappointment. And all of it is worship. You are in it all. And so Lord, I just invite in these next few moments, help us find a place of stillness where we can focus our minds and our hearts on you. And Holy Spirit, I just ask you to bring to our mind maybe something that we need to grieve in this moment. Something that you want us to lament and to bring to you and to begin the healing process of crying out those things that shouldn't be right. And as we do that, we also declare our trust in you, that you are good, that you are just, that you are faithful. And in these moments of raw and honest worship, we look to you and invite you in. So may we be people that see you in all aspects of our life and invite you in every experience. And even in the midst of our pain and our hurt, know that we are secure because we sit with you in your love, in your mercy, in your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.